Hi, Gary Zacharias here with The Apologist Bookshelf. Have you ever wondered if God orders our suffering? Does he decree a bad childhood, or does he orchestrate a plane crash? Does he make a tornado go through a particular community, or did he just wind up the world and uh, just is watching from a distance? Well, Philip Yancey covers things like this in a book called Where is God When It Hurts? Now, it's an old standard. It's been around a long time. And the last I heard, it was over 600,000 copies out in uh, people's hands. So it was a gold medallion book of the year. So this is a book that has touched a lot of people. And I do like Philip Yancey. I like the work that he does. When he writes, he struggles with the issues rather than just saying, I have it all figured out and here are the answers. So I've always appreciated him for struggling like I struggle and having questions like I have. And uh, so this book, again, is called Where's God When It Hurts? I'm going to go to uh, chapters 5 and 6. 5 talks about the groaning planet. And he said, think about the human species. He says, take uh, Germany, for example. What they give us? Germany gave us Bach and Beethoven and Luther and Goethe. But what else did they give us? Hitler, Eichmann, and Goering. They said, a nation weaned on the Bill of Rights. That's us. Also ended up with slavery in the Civil War. So he said, you look at the human race. We're full of wisdom and creativity and compassion. And on the other hand, there's deceit and there's pride and there's selfishness. And so he wants to wrestle with what he calls the problem of pain. He says, it's not just nerve cells and how we say ouch once in a while. But he said, there's side effects of pain and it grinds down the soul toward despair and hopelessness. He said, why do some people live with arthritis or cancer or birth defects, and other people seem to just escape unafflicted for decades. I have a cousin who uh, has struggled his whole life with different issues, and I haven't. And so I've thought about that a lot. He was born on my birthday, and so we shared a lot, and uh, we're close to each other. And I always wondered that as well. He said, you know, pain was set up to be a good protective warning system, but he said something about our planet has gone haywire. Now pain is all over the place, pain and suffering. He said everybody has some kind of suffering that won't go away. Maybe it's a personality flaw, not not actually a physical problem, but a personality flaw, or maybe a broken relationship, or a childhood memory that just doesn't go away, or huge guilt. And so he says, the question, where is God when it hurts, which of course is the title of his book, he said becomes, where is God when it won't stop hurting? How can God allow such intense, unfair pain. What a question. He said, look around at the world. We have AIDS, we have Down syndrome, we have polio, we got scorpions, tsetse flies, earthquakes, typhoons. Couldn't God have done a better job? And he quotes Voltaire in the book Candide. Here's what Voltaire said. If this is the best of all possible worlds, then what are the others like? And of course, Yancey says, I'm not going to build a case that Earth represents the best of all possible worlds. But he said he thinks modern philosophers may have failed to appreciate the difficulties involved in creating. A lot of people assume that all God has to do is wave a magic wand and that would get rid of all these hazards of life. But he said, okay, what would a superior universe look like that would have less human suffering? He said, well, let's try something. He said, how about this? Why not simply do away with bacteria? Well, that won't work. He says 24,000 different species of bacteria have been identified, that, and there are only a few score that cause illness. 
He said, if you eliminated bacteria, we couldn't digest food. Well, what about typhoons? Maybe we should get rid of typhoons. But he said Bangladesh and India have learned that the Earth's climatic system depends on these kinds of storms and these kinds of winds. You've got to have those kinds of disturbances. Creation, he says, actually involves a selection from alternatives. So he says, what if I broke my leg skiing? Then I would think, gosh, I wish I had a stronger body. I wish I had stronger bones. Well, maybe bones could have been made stronger. But he said, then my legs would have been thicker and heavier, and then maybe I couldn't have gone skiing at all. What about my fingers? If they were thicker and maybe more durable, then maybe playing the piano would be impossible. So he said, any creator would have to make difficult choices between strength and mobility, uh, weight and volume. So he said, much on the suffering of our planet has come about because of two principles that God has built into creation. One is, he wants a world that's going to be run according to consistent natural laws. Nothing is going to, you know, one day you'll have gravity, the next day you won't. So we have consistent natural laws and, and here comes the catch, human freedom. So God has built into creation those two things, consistent natural laws and human freedom. And, and they're both good principles, aren't they? But they could be abused. So he gives an example of water. Water is useful. It, it does such wonderful things for us, but it has the capacity to drown us or we could drown somebody else. Now he says, take wood. Wood is valuable for warming us and construction material. That's useful. But he said somebody might pick up a chunk of wood and smash it on the head of somebody else. So God sets up fixed laws, sets into, mo sets into motion fixed laws, but they can be perverted by this freedom. God apparently honors our freedom so much. He thinks it's so valuable. He's willing to take a chance. He knows we're not going to use it well. So, is God, according to um, Yancey, is God somehow responsible for the suffering in this world? Well, indirectly, Yancey answers yes. Uh, you give a child a pair of ice skates, that's supposed to be for fun, but you know that that child may fall. Now, that's a lot different, and I think it's a good point. Yancey says that's different than taking that kid and pushing him down so he falls on the ice. He says a world that's run, run according to these fixed laws and has free human beings, it's subject to abuse. Things can go wrong. Things can be twisted and misused. He said, you know, you could argue forever about whether God could have designed our world differently. Maybe some kind of switch that you could cut off for pain. Maybe a tropical storm, but not a hurricane. How about one less virus or three less bacteria? He said, nobody knows the answer to those questions. But he says, uh, does the earth represent the best of all possible worlds? No. He talks about human freedom and what it does. He said, you know, as a result of freedom, humans have introduced something new to our planet, a rebellion against the original design. He said, man is alone in the fact that he stood up, shook his fist against God and said, I'll do what I want because I want to do it. And so we, we've created this huge gulf between us and our planet from God. But God gives us the freedom to do that, as, as terrible as it is. He says theologians use that term, the fall, for, for what we did in the garden. And uh, why is it called a fall? Because the rebellion allowed evil to enter the world. It disrupted creation. And he uses a quote from Romans 8. We know that the whole creation has been groaning as in the pains of childbirth right up to the present time. That's Romans 8, 19 to 20. So he says, you know, somehow pain and suffering 
have multiplied on this earth because of the abuse of human uh, freedom that we have. We chose against God, and that spoiled this world. It spoiled our relationship with each other. It spoiled our relationship with God. It spoiled our connection to nature. It all got distorted. So he says, you know, anytime you want to discuss the unfairness of suffering, we have to start with the fact that God wasn't pleased with this. This isn't what he wanted. So we're living on a groaning planet now. And the whole story of the Bible, starting with Genesis, where we hear about the fall, all the way to Revelation, it's the story of God working to restore his creation to the original state of perfection. He says, take a look at the Bible. It begins and ends in the same scene. It starts in paradise, a river, the luminous glory of God, and the tree of life. All of human history is taking place between the first part of Genesis and the last part of Revelation. And everything in between is that struggle that we see for us to try to regain what was lost. He said it's wrong, actually, to judge God by the present world. He said that's a mistake. The Bible communicates nothing more clear, he says, than God's displeasure with the way things are right now. God's not happy with this. What can God use to get our attention, he says next. He asks this question. Now, we've, we've started this rebellion. We've walked away from God. We've shaken our fist. We've raised our own flag. He said, all right, what's it going to take for God to get our attention? Well, he introduces C.S. Lewis at this point, who said, pain is the megaphone of God. And here's what Lewis goes on to say. God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It hits megaphone to rouse a deaf world. And that's exactly right. The existence of suffering on this earth, he says, is a scream to all of us that something is wrong, that this is not the way things should be. He says, if I try to escape this world of pain and suffering through hedonism, never mind, suffering and death are right there haunting me, reminding me that if all there is is this life, it's pretty haunting. Sometimes, he says, murmuring, sometimes it's shouting, says suffering is a rumor of transcendence that we have gone off the rails. The whole human condition is a mess and out of whack and not the way it was supposed to be. Yancey points out other religions try to deny pain or maybe to rise above it. They said Christianity starts with the, with the assertion that suffering really does exist and it exists as proof of our fallen state. We suffer because we've lost what we originally had. The concept of a great but fallen world matches what reality really is. That's one reason why I think Christianity is true, because it so closely resembles, uh, describes the world the way the world really is. It seems to be a great reflection of reality, and that's what Yancey is saying here. This great world and the great human race, these wonderful things we can do, and at the same time, the brutality that we show to each other. It's a great world, but it's fallen. That's exactly what Christianity says. The megaphone of pain, Yancey goes on to say, produces an effect. You could be driven from God by having this misery, but he said, pain can drive me to God. So it's our choice, isn't it? It's our choice. Yancey says that megaphone of suffering is strong enough to bring people to their knees, the ones who are suffering, to ponder the big questions of life. So he says that's the value of suffering, that the planet is groaning. You and I are groaning. And there's a cry right there. We need salvation. We're suffering. The world is suffering. We can't fix it. 
There's a cry for restoration. But sometimes we just ignore this message. We hide from it until suffering or death forces us to attend to it. He says, now I'm not, I'm not saying that God permits suffering because it has megaphone value, but it does announce a message of distress to all humanity. Speaking of the megaphone of pain, he tells the story of John Donne here, a 17th century poet. So I like that since I enjoy poetry. John Donne was one of those people that had a big megaphone of pain in his life. His father-in-law got mad at him, fired him from his job. Dunn got blackballed from a career in law. He became a priest, but the year that he got his first parish job, his wife died, had seven kids to try to raise. Then he ended up diagnosed with bubonic plague, and it just sapped his strength till he was almost dead. I guess it ended up being typhus, not the plague. So he's got all of the suffering in his life, and he wrote a series of devotions focusing on the suffering, and people today think that's some of the best ever written on the subject of suffering, these meditations. Well, at the end of that section on Dunn, it says poverty and all these terrible things that happened to him taught him to be dependent on God. It cleansed him of greed. He got cured of worldly ambition because he lost his job. So Dunn saw, and I think what Yancey's trying to get across, is that pain can be transformed or even redeemed, which is pretty pretty good. He said Dunn realized that his life, even when he was bedridden, was not meaningless. So he directed his energy towards spiritual disciplines, things like prayer, confession of sins, and he kept a journal and turned that into his devotions. He got his mind off himself and onto others. And that book, Devotions, those meditations, that showed a seismic shift in Dunn's attitude toward pain. He began by praying, God, take away this pain. But he ended by saying, let the pain be redeemed. That's a good way to think about it, huh? Let it be redeemed. Well, I think because of time, I'll stop here instead of doing chapter 6. But that's chapter 5 about the groaning planet and some possible answers there. So I enjoy Yancey's ability to wrestle with and struggle with some of the biggest issues that we have. And I bet you could find this book at a used bookstore somewhere. Uh, there's so many copies out there. It's a good one to have. Even if right now you're doing okay, uh, we need to be prepared. It's not a question of if we're going to have pain and suffering in our life. It's going to be when. And so I would recommend this book, Where is God When It Hurts? Well, we'll do this again, and I thank you for your attention. See you later. Bye-bye.